Hello, and welcome to The Dan Chronicles, the podcast edition. This is going to be me just talking to you and kind of going over the month's uh, newsletter edition to tell you a little bit about what's going on and why I chose the stories, maybe elaborate a little bit more. Uh, mostly this came about because on Substack, I see that they now natively support podcasts and make it super easy to create and upload podcasts. Um, and I thought it might be fun just to kind of talk about the stories because I always have more to say about the things that I choose to put in the newsletter. So thank you for joining. I have no idea who is going to be listening to this, maybe nobody, but it's fun for me. And so I am going to start doing it. So this newsletter, I kind of struggled with a little bit in terms of all of the craziness happening in Ukraine. And there's a lot of stories, a lot of new things happening and developing. And it would be really easy just to fill up the entire newsletter with stories from Ukraine. But I explicitly didn't want to do that. I chose one story related to Ukraine, which I'll talk about in a little bit, specifically around crypto web three, just because I felt that that was more on brand, even though I kind of don't really like that on brand for my newsletter means crypto and web three. But for whatever reason, those are some of the stories that are capturing my attention right now. And so those are the ones that I'm sharing. So in the very opening, um, I talk a little bit about the war in Ukraine, uh, the invasion by Russia and how we can support. And I sent a link to two organizations specifically around helping refugees because the huge, huge refugee crisis going on right now. Both Global Giving and Save the Children are established organizations that are really working to instantly, or not instantly, but like they are set up to help refugees now rather than other newer organizations. Um, and so I thought that they would be good to highlight in the newsletter. Um, they were also ones that uh, I found because the company was doing, the company that I work for was doing a donation matching program. And so I was able to give the company matched and uh, I think they're great and you should donate too. Jumping into the first story that I chose specifically, this is on Carlo Rovelli's The Order of Time, which is, uh, as I say in the newsletter, a book that has completely blown my mind. Uh, it is one of those books that really captured me from the very first sentence, which is one of the reasons why I included the very first sentence of the book in the newsletter. Um, because this, I, as somebody that hadn't been following space time and like what time means and what gravity is and, and all of these other kind of fundamental quantum science physics things, uh, this, at the very beginning, just sort of, sort of blew my mind. And it's amazing because it's presented as, okay, here is the foundational knowledge that you'll need in order to understand the rest of the book. The fundamental knowledge that you need to really understand where he goes in his book is that time passes faster in the mountains than it does at sea level. Uh, and this is a scientific fact, apparently. There are clocks that are super... Um, calibrated that they can measure this. Uh, and basically, the closer that you are to like large masses, uh, the slower time passes. Um, 
and that two people, uh, if they both are living at sea level and then one of them goes into the mountains and one of them stays at sea level and they meet up years later, one will have more time passed than the other. Uh, and that, I mean, I'm still sort of wrapping my head around that concept. And I mean, the book goes on, of course, even further to explain the different fields and the Planck unit of time. So the smallest measurement of time and what it means to go from a Planck unit of time to the next Planck unit of time, because it kind of jumps rather than being fluid, how we experience time now zoomed out as much as we are. Um, and I mean, I don't know if it is a book that I will be able to specifically kind of pontificate on in the future after reading it, uh, but it's definitely a book where after uh, I'll finish it, because like I said, I am about halfway through, but once I finish it, I feel like I will have a better understanding of the world, if not be able to specifically vocalize it in a very intelligent way. Um, but yeah, with complex subjects, I guess I could really spend a bunch of time digging into the details, uh, or I could trust the experts. Uh, and I think that with a lot of things, it's really worth it sometimes to just kind of like find somebody working in a space that is an expert, kind of understand what their opinions are and kind of be like, okay, I can understand why you have those opinions. I don't know if I'll remember all of the specific details, but um, that is something that will shape my knowledge uh, and that's sort of what i did and i and the next story is sort of kind of built on top of that and it's a much simpler story simply about uh daylight savings time and how it might finally actually become permanent and and like i say i have mixed feelings about this because Growing up in Arizona, we did not have daylight savings. And so all year round, we stayed on the same time zone. Um, and I mean, so I was born in California. We did have daylight savings. And then when I was in about second or third grade, we moved to Arizona and we kind of gave that up. And uh, I guess I was too young to really have an opinion on it at the time. But it was really when I moved to New York in college and started doing it again that I realized that I kind of enjoyed having the two time a year annual tradition of kind of shifting your internal clock. It, it helps kind of set the time of year to count the passing of time and doing all those sort of things. So I kind of developed an affinity for it. But I mean, I also have an affinity for the snow. Uh, growing up in some place that didn't have any snow coming to New York, I do really like the snow. And I know that people who were born in places that get snow tend to get older and they hate the snow. So maybe my enjoyment of daylight savings changing comes from not having it when I'm younger. But that doesn't change the fact that like, I do sort of like it. And if, if they got rid of it, I would definitely sort of miss it. Although uh, I do recognize that it is completely unnecessary. And if the government does decide to work together on this one thing, that would be a win overall. So the next story that I talked about is one that I've sort of been following from the beginning. Uh, and I remember when I first heard the story of Havana syndrome and how all the U.S. government agents had this weird, mysterious kind of sickness or, or these symptoms that were happening, um, I thought very quickly we would 
have an answer about what it was. Uh, and they would be like, okay, well, this person is doing this. Here's how they were doing it, all that sort of stuff. And it kind of surprised me back in 2016 when that didn't happen. Um, all that really happened was more mystery around it. Uh, for some reason, I don't really know how, but they were able to rule out the Cuban government, which I guess is good for U.S.-Cuba relationships, but they were never able to pinpoint it on somebody else. Uh, and so I've been kind of following this story every time there's a news article or, or something new about it just to hopefully have an answer. And thus far, there are still no answers. And so when I saw that there was a new 60 Minutes segment on it, I was curious to see what the latest news and developments were. And really, it didn't answer anything and just provided more mystery because the locations where individuals can be targeted has grown. It includes places on the United States, so not just in foreign countries. And also, it seems really strange the people that they are targeting, because they aren't necessarily, at least the people that have come forward are not like high up government officials, they're assistants or like people that are high up, but they don't necessarily have a public facing persona, or you wouldn't necessarily know who they are. And these are the people that are being targeted, and not just them, but their families, their kids, all of these sort of people are having symptoms and some of the symptoms are, are lasting and impacting people for their entire lives. So it seems as if the consensus right now is that this is a weapon and that it has something to do with microwaves. So weaponizing microwaves, but we still don't know really who's behind it, how they're doing it and all of these other details that are just so important. And I guess either we don't know or we do know and we can't say it because we don't want to start some sort of like actual conflict that becomes public and is an actual war. So this is another story that really has captured my attention and that I am following. I wouldn't say I'm following closely because it's not like I have news alerts set up for Havana syndrome. But every time there is a major article that kind of bubbles up on it, I definitely click on it immediately just because I do want answers. Uh, and it's a really strange thing to be happening and a really new thing and a very concerning thing. So the next story is my one story from Ukraine. Uh, and as I said in the introduction, specifically, this is around crypto donations to Ukraine, just because it kind of blew my mind. I, I mean, I guess not blew my mind because this is this is how the world operates now with this weird digital currency that for some reason people have decided has value and it may or may not be a Ponzi scheme, but for now it has value and that people with this digital currency can donate it to foreign governments and those foreign governments can use it to exchange for arms and armor and weapons and defense equipment and and whatever else they need uh, and it's just amazing that there's been close to a hundred million dollars in digital currency that has been donated and we know this because everything uh, in crypto is public it's a public blockchain so there's people that can take a look at the address and count how much money is coming in and so there's been a lot of donations and they've been actually able to spend it and use it, which is the other problem with crypto is that 
exchanging at least exchanging it to fiat is next to impossible uh exchanging it for goods and services is something that works if people can accept crypto natively i guess if if they're a vendor and they want to accept that so just an interesting story about how things have sort of changed Uh, and it also opens things up too with some of the weaknesses of crypto because let's say i don't know a hundred years in the future the world looks completely different Uh, and let's say uh, Russia, United States, no longer actively hating each other. Things have gone to some sort of natural symbiosis again. And let's say crypto wins out and it's really popular and it's everywhere. And Russia develops some really popular app that is built on top of the blockchain. And the way that you sign in is you want authenticate yourself with whatever this application is and you use it. But because it's built on the blockchain. There's all that history. They can go through and they can see if any user that is authenticating has given any money to a Ukraine. And as a result, they could block them from that. Or, or basically, the the blockchain means that you your entire history of whatever you do there is public. And so the answer is having multiple different accounts, juggling things yourself, and then opening up the area that you have to be vulnerable to attack because there's still a lot of vulnerabilities and security concerns. The more wallets that you have, the more you need to protect. Or the answer is that you use one and suddenly all of your activity is accessible publicly, verifiable via application, and people can be blocked for behaving in certain ways or supporting different things from different like major applications so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out again this is another thing that i'm kind of paying attention to i don't know how sold i am yet of crypto being the future i do think that decentralized applications um is a technology that did not exist before and it exists now and once something exists you can't take it away Uh, but it remains to be seen what the practical applications are for it right now Um, it's interesting how people are rebuilding a lot of the financial institutions on crypto but like i still think the world of nfts as it exists right now is very much a ponzi scheme Um, i think most of the currency applications of crypto is kind of sketchy to say the least but the the foundational technology to build things on top of uh as a concept is solid in practice still needs some work but i mean those are all kinks that can be worked out i think so it'll be interesting to see how that goes and it's wild to see people accepting donations in crypto for war and it'll be interesting to see too how people might be able to get around sanctions by using crypto i mean the fact that russia is sanctioned could mean a renaissance for crypto if suddenly there's a bunch of stuff developed there so that russia and russians can participate in the economy again without being sanctioned or shut down by other people so it's interesting we'll, we'll see where it goes from here i guess the last story I have, um, because I usually like to end the newsletter with something a little bit lighter, and I I framed it. It's funny when I when I was a journalist. I'm I'm talking about framing now, and so I'm going back to like when I was a journalist writing for. uh, Specifically, I learned this at The Verge, and they would always say, or what my editor always said to me was, "It, it's not the story is not the story." The story is your take on the story. 
Um, and so like, what is your opinion? Make that opinion the story rather than, okay, this thing came out, right? So like this product was released. Really, it's like, oh, this is the greatest product ever. And that's the story. And then you talk about how it was released. Um, but anyway, I really wanted to share this video because I think it is one of the best, like I could listen to this on repeat over and over again, the, the auto-tune remix of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. I just think it's so great. And Avi, on the other hand, groans loudly whenever she's heard me play it. Whenever I show it to anybody else, she just leaves the room. She can't stand it. And we're having a discussion where to her, it's the ultimate form of cringe. And I would say, I don't, I don't know if this is like cringe, like Nathan Fielder uh, of Nathan for you or some other like comedians, I kind of would put those in cringe comedy. Uh, so it's just interesting how different people have different reactions to things. And so going back to the angle, I decided that I wanted to share this song, but I needed to find an angle rather than here, here this is, listen to it. So the angle is, is this entertaining? Is this funny? Do you enjoy this? Or is this the ultimate form of cringe where you just can't really listen to it? Uh, and so I pose that question. I would say that almost nobody ever responds to newsletters. Um, I would like you to, but nobody ever does. So I'm curious if this will inspire anybody to respond and let me know or whether it will just continue to be crickets. And that brings us through the March 2022 newsletter of the Dan Chronicles. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride with me. I plan to continue making these just because, uh, as you can see, I have a lot to say about these stories. And so I will see you next month. <laughs>